Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. I'm Sarah Ajala Emanuel. I'm the minister of Living Word Church. Continuing in our theme on Christianity as to what true Christianity is all about, because as I say, and as I keep saying, we're in very dangerous times at the moment, where Satan's biggest battle is against the church. Now, Satan has been waging war against the church of Christ ever since he failed in his mission to destroy Christ our Lord. So as uh, once Jesus resurrected, uh, Satan thought he'd won the battle when Jesus was crucified and died and buried. But um, he was in for a surprise and the ultimate shock from which he has not recovered when Jesus resurrected. And uh, that resurrection is our hope and that is our joy. And ever since then, Satan has turned his attention unto the church of Christ, the body of Christ, and he's doing everything he can to destroy it. Now, I will not say, I mean, as much as we have a lot of problems in Christianity today, I wouldn't say that Satan is succeeding in destroying the church or has succeeded. He can never, ever succeed. Jesus said the gates of Hades will never overcome his church. Now, that is not possible. That is why we have what is the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is what we see around us daily. You know, that people call the church and people know as the church. And it's full of all kinds of doctrines, true and false, all kinds of leaders, false and true. You know, there's a problem there. But the invisible church, they are those people who truly are devoted to Christ, who really know Christ, you know, and um, who do leave this world to be with Christ. I mean, of them are the apostles and all the, uh, well, most of the first century Christians, the ones who did not turn to apostasy, that is. And, uh, and as such, we, we have that. So it is not possible because Christ will come back and rapture his church. So there is no way Satan is going to destroy the church of Christ. However, individuals are being led astray and being led away. We have a lot of apostates at the moment. And um, I tell you what apostates are. They're not the wives of the apostles, you know. <laughs> but the apostates are people who once believed the message but for all kinds of reasons, have been enticed away and now oppose the message. Now, some of them outrightly oppose the message and they leave the church. They leave the church and go into other religions or become whatever else they want to. I mean, I wouldn't really say they really believe the message. I say people who have heard the message before, because if you really, I don't see how it can be possible for anyone to have actually believed and trusted in Christ and then turned away. Anybody who does that has never really, really been devoted to Christ or really trusted Christ fully, in my opinion. Now, these people, the ones who actually leave the church, leave Christianity altogether for all kinds of reasons known to them or that they give, they are not a problem to us. They're not a problem. They don't pose any danger. They made their personal choice. They have to leave with whatever the consequences eventually. But the ones we need to worry about... The ones of major concern to me as a servant of the Most High God and to any true preacher of the gospel of Christ, the ones that we have to contend with, the ones that are a problem, are the ones who remain in the church, having forsaken the truth of the gospel, the message of the gospel, or the doctrine laid down by Christ Jesus our Lord himself. The ones who actually stay, remain within the church, still under the guise of, the, of Christianity, still labeling themselves as angels of light, though they have now deflected and are angels of darkness. They are the ones we have a problem with. Because, you see, 
They are the ones who are the most powerful instruments in the hands of Satan. And what we have to understand is this. Satan is not against you going to church. As long as you do not go to uh, the church of Christ, where you will hear the truth that sets you free. As long as you don't do that, you're fine. So he's happy for you to go to church. Satan goes to church more than anybody else. Now, he doesn't mind you being religious. Why? Because religion does nothing. Christianity is not a religion. It is the way of life. So it doesn't matter. You can go into all kinds of religious practices, all kinds of futile rituals and all sorts of things. That doesn't bother Satan. He will encourage you. Why not? That's what he wants. As long as you do not have that particular and that all-important relationship, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes you a son of God. As long as you don't have that, he's happy. Practice religion all you like. I mean, the Israelites spent all their lives practicing religion. And that's why they failed in the task of leading the rest of humanity to God. They were very full of religion. They did all the right things. The Pharisees and all of them. Would you notice that um, when our Lord Jesus, when he was here in his ministry, his earthly ministry, do you notice that he did not choose a Pharisee to be his disciple? There were loads of them. Nicodemus and all of them. He didn't choose any of those. What did he choose? He chose the simplest, the easiest of people, the, the, you know, the most unnoticeable peoples, the reviled tax collectors and the likes, fishermen. Those were those that Jesus chose to serve him. And as such, you see, when the Lord came upon them in power, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they became, when they became the apostles, they had nothing to boast about in the flesh. They could only boast. Even as the Lord said, as God says, let him who boasts, boast that he knows me, that I'm the God who executes judgment, mercy and executes judgment on earth. Mm-hmm. So all our boasting is in the Lord. I'm not a biblical scholar either. All the wisdom I have or, or any kind of knowledge I have comes from the Lord. So I have nothing to boast about because I have not discovered anything of my own. But I speak as the Lord gives me, as the Lord speaks to me. Now, he doesn't give me spectacular private revelation. All, of his, all he's saying to all of us is in the written word. There is no new revelation in this age. I will always say that. Now, I have had the unfortunate incidents recently. <laughs> I call it unfortunate incidents recently because um, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Of having to watch Christian television. Is what we call Christian television these days. Now, <clears throat> because of a book I'm working on at the moment, which is uh, which talks about apostasy and um, and and the evils that has over that has overtaken what we call the church today. Now, I'm coming to the conclusion of that particular book, and so I've had to compel myself to watch um, Christian television lately, just to keep abreast of the latest techniques and tricks of the false teachers. Now, it isn't everyone who comes on the Christian channels that is false. We've got some fantastic, beautiful servants of God there who preach the gospel, who actually speak the words of our Lord. But the majority, I must say, and I mean the majority, because I've spent over a month now sitting there day in, day out, watching all these people. And I'm just amazed at what I'm seeing. People selling prosperity handkerchiefs, people selling uh, anointed water, uh, breakthrough oils 
and all sorts of things like that, waving their hands from the stage while several thousands of people fall all over themselves saying they're giving the anointing for a start. Let me get one. Let's get one thing straight. No human being has the authority to give anyone any anointing. You know what the anointing is? It's not about the oil put on the head and all that. No, the anointing actually is God's given enablement. God's given power through the Holy Spirit to anyone to proclaim the word of God boldly and courageously. That's what the anointing is. The ability, our God-given ability to proclaim the word of God, to witness to the word of God, to the glory of God, to the sovereignty of God. That's what the anointing is. It's not for me to knock people all over the stage and knock them into a state of uh, all kinds of frenzies and trances and all those things. If you really look into the mystic religions and the occult movements, you will find that all those things are characteristic of the occult. They're not Christianity. And we don't have precedence of them in the Bible. Of the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul raising up their hands and everybody fell all over the place. Whenever people actually fell during the ministration of Christ, it was when they were casting out demons. And the, and the demons were tormenting these bodies. And, you know, that's when the people were sort of in kind of any kind of frenzies. And as soon as the Lord commanded, or the apostles commanded those demons, then the people came to their right senses. They didn't say rolling on the floor and doing all kinds of weird things. So I've had to watch all those things. I'm watching all those things. I'm watching people, you know, ministers under all kinds of titles, asking people to uh, sow a seed of 1,120 pounds for, for some a gold bar which God has instructed them to give to you. And asking pe- people are asking uh, pe- people to, to sow seeds of uh, $1,000 for a particular miracle that God wants to raise 300 millionaires from somewhere. I mean, now people, they're, they're trading these miracles for money and saying, doing it in the name of God. God said, if you do this, he's going to give you that. God says, God told me this morning, I should tell people about the $500 miracle. This is the financial breakthrough that he wants to do for some people. When did God become needy? When? He is almighty God. He is the sovereign God. Everything is in his power. He has everything in his power. And you know what? He does not trade his favor or his blessing for, monet- for, for, for monetary value. He doesn't trade it for money. He does not. How much did the whole of mankind pay God Almighty to establish the earth in which we all base can rejoice and, and, and celebrate and live today? How much did we pay? We all go, we eat fish, we eat seafood, we eat poultry, we eat cattle, we eat all those things, we eat fruits, we eat vegetables. How much did we pay God Almighty? To put all those things on earth. Because you know the scientists are running around saying everything came by by accident. <clears throat> One heck of an accident that must have been. How much did anybody pay God? I mean I don't even want to talk about the scientists today. They just do my head in. Now I'm talking about the creation of God. How much do we pay God for the air we all breathe? For the rains? For the seasons? For the harvest we get? For the beaches that we go to enjoy ourselves? Everything in all of creation. How much has the whole of mankind given to God? For him to show such amazing providence that we now want to be trading him a thousand pounds for for a miracle or financial breakthrough. So he can put some money in your pocket. You give him some first. 
And people are gullible. And they're phoning through. And I see these people with their call operators, hundreds of calls operators taking phone calls. And they're even saying to people, if you don't have the money, you can do it by credit card. Pay by your credit card and then challenge God to cancel your debt. You know what? If you pay or sow a seed in that kind of circumstance, you're going to stay with your debt. Because God has not asked you to. We do not give to God what we don't have. We give to God willingly what we do have. However literally it may be. But no, the bar has been raised. Now, these people tell you exactly how much you're supposed to sow. They give you a minimum figure. It's shocking. So that's why I said I've had the misfortune of having to watch these things because I, f- I find them really distressing, really, really distressing. I can't be doing with these things, sort of things. But like I said, painfully, I've had to go through the experience. And I can't believe what I'm saying. And you know what the problem is? There was a time I used to put all the blame at the, at the feet of, of the false prophets and false teachers. But now I have to blame the people who go after them as well. Because, you know, when you learn, when you learn to read and understand and believe the word of God yourself, you will not be taken by all kinds of winds of teaching. But people are too lazy. And then there's the element of greed that is naturally in every one of us human beings. And if we do not learn to put that sense of greed behind you, because you know, in of us, in each of us is, um, in each of us is the our two spirits. You know, our own sinful man is there. Well, that is, if you're a born again Christian, our own sinful man is still there. Our own sinful spirit is still there. Only now it is subdued by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit rather than the inclinations of our own minds, which is sinful. Because the Bible says the sinful mind cannot, the sinful mind cannot, he's hostile towards God, cannot obey God's Lord, he hates God. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So now we know, we know how to make right and wrong choices. Because the Holy Spirit is there in us to tell us. And we follow his leadership. But the sense of greed in every man, unless you suppress it and put it to rest, it will always overtake you. And that is when people would rather accept the word of a teacher, however false, however loud, however ridiculous the teaching sounds, as long as it's pleasing to the ears, people would rather believe that than the written word of God. The written word of God. Now, today I'm actually going to look at the contradictory teachings we have. That is bringing so has brought so much nonsense into in, in, into Christianity that is misleading people, and what really bothers me is not so much that um, these people are really uh, 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 robbing people of their earthly resources. They don't mind. I mean, they even I, I hear a lot of uh, these guys in their fundraising saying, "Doesn't matter if that's all of your savings." Oh, I once put in all of my savings once and it was all $2,000 and I put it in and I said to God, well, if you don't, if you don't do this to me, if you don't uh, multiply this according to your word, I will not believe you the rest of your word and all sorts of nonsense, all sorts of blasphemous talk like that. <clears throat> and so I went ahead and sold that $2,000 seed and the next week somebody gave me a check for $20,000. They said, God has laid it on my head. It's all a whole lot of nonsense. They are made up stories just to swindle you. And so they tell you, put in your very last. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's all your savings. It doesn't matter if it's all you got because God wants to raise 300 millionaires this month and you better be one of them. So call now. Don't entertain any, any doubts on the devil. Don't hesitate. Go to your phone and phone this minute, this minute. It's nonsense. All this sort of pressure. What has all that got to do with the, with the gospel? 
Jesus said to us, our Lord himself said to us, he said, guard your lives in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 15, where some guy was saying to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He thought, this guy thought, because Jesus had authority, because Jesus was mighty and everybody was following him, his brother would be afraid and, you know, would obey Christ. He said, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, look, who was, um, let me open it exactly. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The fact that you make a million pounds today does not mean you're going to live to spend it tomorrow. Do you realize that? We have the parable of the rich fool. Also in the same chapter of Luke, chapter 12. I'm not going to go into details in that. But this guy, he, uh, he was a farmer, had a bountiful harvest and everything. He was very pleased with himself. He was very pleased with himself. He had, he, 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 then he said to himself in verse 18, this is what I'll do. He said, well, I'll take it from 17 actually. He thought to himself, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Yes, that's what our Lord said. So a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his goods. So you get a lot of things. You accumulate all these things. You're being encouraged every day to accumulate. You chase after you spend all your time. Valuable time you can spend serving the Lord, honoring God with your life. You spend all that time running around trying to get more, trying to get more, trying to get to the next level, which you keep telling, some people keep telling you God has, he wants you on the next level. If God wants you on any next level, he'll get you there himself. You concentrate on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, even as Jesus said. So you gather all those things. You know the problem this guy had, the rich fool? God is not against riches. If it is his will, he will bless you abundantly. That is not what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with having a lot, lot, lot of money. If you've worked for it and it has pleased God to bless the work of your hands, there's nothing wrong with it. But when that money and your wealth and making more money and accumulating your wealth and gathering up your treasure, when that becomes the core of your life, there is a problem. That means you're an idolater and a greedy person. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says no greedy person or, 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 or no greedy person. Such a person as an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It mustn't be. It's a tool. This guy who had this bountiful harvest, he didn't think what he could do for his neighbors. He didn't think about the poor. He didn't think. He didn't even talk about his family here. He was just talking, I, I, I. I will tear down my bands and I will beat big guns. I will store my grain and I will say to myself. He didn't think what he could do for the people of God. He didn't think what he could do in service to God, how he could help the poor with his abundance reaches. No, he thought he'll keep it up to himself. He'll keep it out to himself because he had done all the work after all. It's the work of my hands. I worked hard. Let everybody else go and work hard. God blessed me. So there, you go chase after God for your own blessings. He didn't consider anyone else. He didn't consider God or the will of God or the ways of God. No, it was about him. I'll put my feet up and enjoy myself. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you fool. That voice is still sounding to people who are greedy, 
<clears throat> who are still wanting more. You go meet and watch people. They throw in pity parties on television whilst they're being promised miracles and breakthroughs and all sorts of coming to give all kinds of ridiculous testimonies to what, what somebody has done, what some pastor has done. And the situation has gotten really, really ridiculous now. People are even saying, and I thank the God of daddy, this person. That's their pastor, that is. I thank the God of pastor, this. I thank the God of pastor. What's wrong with you thanking the almighty God? Do you know what God this pastor is worshipping or serving who is giving him the power to throw you all over the floor on the stage? Do you know? What is wrong with people? What thing we're all knowing? You're chasing after somebody's powers. Somebody's so powerful and all that. What's wrong with you being powerful for the Lord? What's wrong with you being in service to the Lord? But you can't be bothered to draw near. Because you see, if you want to serve God, you have to, you have to cut out your affection for the world. And this is what people are not willing to do. People are not willing to do that. You have to live a sacrificial life. I spoke of that in the, past, in the last two, two lessons. You have to live a sacrificial life. Now you don't come into the equation. Now you have to live a, God, a life that says God first, others next, me last. And people don't like that. No, it's all about you. I've said it once, I'll say it a million times. The message of the gospel of Christ is not about you. It is not about you. You are a recipient of God's grace and mercy. It is all about Christ. And if Christ our Lord himself said to us, do not worry in Matthew 6 from verse 25 to 34 there, do not worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. He gives us examples of the birds of the air. They don't labor, they don't, they don't sow, they don't reap a harvest, yet God feeds them. How many times have you gone out to feed all the pigeons in the air? I'm not talking about people who throw out the odd breadcrumbs and, <clears throat> you know, on the roads and things like that. No. How many of the birds of the air do, you, do we feed all over the world? God feeds them. And look how beautiful, such beautiful creatures they are. I saw one in my garden the other. It was the most beautiful bird I'd ever seen. And I stood there for minutes just looking at it and just being amazed, just marveling at the work, the awesome work of God. Because evolution hasn't explained all that, all the beauty of all of, all of nature. And then, of course, Jesus gave the illustration of flowers. Have you seen? Every day I go into my garden, I always plant new flowers coming spring every year, and I just love it when I watch them grow, when I watch them bloom. It's so amazing. So amazing. The coloration, the arrangement of the petals and everything. So perfect. So stunning. That we want to put flowers everywhere that we are to add beauty. That's the work of God. We didn't give him a hand with it, and we don't give him a hand with it. We may plant them, yes, but the very first ones from which we get the seeds we plant came from God. And so Jesus said, if God, being your father, knows if he could do so for birds and for flowers, how much more you? You are the one created in his glorious image and likeness. You are the ones that he's ransomed by the blood of his son. You are the one that he's adopted as sons that if you belong to Christ, that is, not everybody is the, is the child of God, only those who belong to Christ, who are called by his name and who obey Christ. Because what Jesus said was, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. My words will, then my words will abide in you. Then my father and I will come and we'll make our home with you. <clears throat> now, so if you're a child of God, Jesus said, your father in heaven knows you need all those things. The pagans run after all the worries, the earthly worries of money and all those things. What shall I have? What shall I do? I've got this ambition. I must have that. I must build this. I must buy that. He said, that is the pagan world. You, he said, 
Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be given unto you. Now, you don't get up one day and decide, okay, I've sought the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is Lord. That's it. I'm heaven bound. Now, let me worry about that. Let me concentrate on the rest of the things of the world. No, it doesn't work that way. All of the days of our lives, we are supposed to be working out our salvation in reverence and fear. All of the days of our lives. So, you see, when we start honoring the teachings of man over and above the teachings of Christ, Jesus said, don't be so restless about making money and all those things, but we want to follow the teachings that tells us, go and get more. Don't settle for where you are. That's the devil's lie to you. He doesn't want you to progress. He doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to have that. Say to the devil, you're a liar. So go for it. Go for good. Sow this seed and you should make more. Give this offering and you shall have more. You deceive yourself. You've been deceived and, you've been de- and you're deceiving yourself also. We cannot. No man knows more than Christ. He's told us how to live. Want to live in opposition to that. We'll have ourselves to blame. And you know what? Our Lord himself wonders. <clears throat> he wonders against the coming of the false teachers and the false prophets. He told us. He said, be careful. Watch out for, for false teachers. They come, they come amongst you as sheep in, in, in as, um, as sheep. But he said, inwardly, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus said that. And then Jude issued a very stern warning. <clears throat> Jude, the one chapter book of Jude, in verse 3 there, Jude wanted to write to the church about other issues concerning our salvation. But no, he was compelled because of the danger he saw around him. He said, dear friends, verse 3, from verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slept in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now Jude writes the rest of it. He writes about the workings of apostates, their signs, their condemnation, their tricks. Okay. Peter wrote a very similar message, same kind of message in chapter 2 of Second Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Now, if you continue reading all of that as well, all of chapter 2 of Second Peter, you'll be amazed. Peter also talks about what they do, how they live, what they teach and all those things. You've got to be very careful. Paul the Apostle talks about them also. When he wrote to Timothy and said, look, there's some people amongst you will rise who, who teach false doctrines. Those who t- teach that godliness is a means to financial gain just in order to, 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 um, to, to, um, Enrich themselves. Look, he says this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in, late, in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. 
They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now he carries on and these things. And then, that's not the only time he talks about it. Again, he talks in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. He goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, these people are talking. Peter, Jude, Paul, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're talking about apostates. People who profess the name of Jesus but do not walk in line with the commands or teachings or instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not everybody who stands with a title and has a great big crowd following them is serving the Lord. You have to be discerning. This is what is missing in Christianity today. People are not discerning. People are just not discerning. As long as they say something you like, they're people, they're men and women of God. It's not about what you like. Do you know what? The message of the, of the gospel is not exactly, is not exactly enticing or, or what we like. No, the message of the gospel is convicted. It's supposed to bow you, humble you and bow your head down. That's what it's supposed to do. But look. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, Paul says, For the time will come, this was an amazing prophecy, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that's what we have today. People telling you all the time that some people, some witches and some Forces are after you and some, some ancestral curses disturbing you and some ancestral spirit is harassing your life. Do you know what? You need to begin to weigh everything you hear against the word of God. What did God say in Deuteronomy about false prophets? He said, if any prophet comes to you and says anything in my name, and what that prophet says does not come to pass, know that that, government, that prophet has not been sent by me. He's speaking out of his own mind. In fact, he says that prophet should not be allowed to leave. Okay, we don't destroy them now. We don't kill them or anything like that. But in the days, in the Old Testament days, such prophets would have been killed. They would have been taken out. Except for the fact that, um, on the face of it, you know, the Israelites loved false prophets. <laughs> they believed them more than they believed the prophets of God. But that is that how much the Bible condemns them. All of the apostles spoke about it, including and, and Jude also. And they said, these people, their condemnation is already waiting for them. They're destroyed. They, their judgment is hanging over their heads. Now, I'm going to continue on the issue of contradictory doctrine next week because um, I can't cover it all in one day. But it's still part of our, our theme on Christianity. So now we're dealing with contradictory doctrine, weighing the words, the teachings we're hearing against the teachings of our Lord. And I pray that the Lord will give you discernment and open the eyes of your uh, heart to understanding that you may understand the truth that 
the Lord himself has written down for us. I stand to get nothing from this, but it will be my joy to see people worship God in spirit and in truth. For that is why I'm called. I'm Sarah Jala Emmanuel. Until the next time, may the Lord be with you.